American craft wine. You're on the road with me, Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. I live in London selling cases of California wine across Europe for the Tolado family. And this podcast is about California, my home state, and awesome wines. Each week, every Thursday, rain, shine, or lockdown, I interview a guest who's an expert in wine, including this week's guest, who's the winemaker for the Federalist, Dueling Pistols, and Big Macs Wines. Every Thursday, we'll have some fun and ultimately improve your boozing. I've been on the road in the United States, kicking off my trip in my home state, California. And after a long year, a very long year, I got to finally spend some quality time with my mom and my brother, Bill, and also with a few close friends in SoCal over a few beers, chicken wings, and tacos. It was so much fun catching up with Emilio, Pat, Bernie, Anthony, John, and Antonio. And my travels have taken me to California's most recent and newest AVA in Tehachapi, where Viognier and Zinfandel vines are planted 4,000 feet above sea level. And I was blown away by the quality of the wines that I tasted with my buddy Matt Barsic and his wife Siri, along with Triassic Vineyards owner Jim Arnold. And I'm looking forward to have Jim on the podcast later this year. It's easy getting around in the U.S., so I hopped on a flight to San Antonio, Texas, and spent time with my friend Hans Griffin on the Texas Wine Trail. About a 45-minute drive north of San Antonio, visiting the Grape Creek and Becker Vineyards. Tasting wines from Texas was a first for me, and I was pleasantly surprised by the overall quality of the wines. Although, like the wines in Tehachapi, they are a bit pricey. And it's true, everything is big in Texas. Both wineries produce over 75,000 cases of wine, which surprised the hell out of me. And the wine trail was bumper to bumper with huge Ford pickup trucks. Yeehaw! A quick word from the buyer. The buyer.net is your connection to the premium on trade. The buyer.net is your on trade platform, linking key industry leaders influencers, producers, and suppliers in order to improve reach and awareness in the UK hospitality sector. On the road, I extended my stay as soon as I heard that the UK was going into another lockdown. I mentioned in an earlier podcast that California produces 85% of all the wine in America. California is numero uno, baby. But it's not the only one, since we grow grapes in all 50 states. So after visiting Texas, I thought, what the hell? Let's check out the vineyards in another sunny state, Florida. So I hopped on another Southwest flight, this time to Miami. My Uber driver's GPS, though, must have been offline coming out of Miami's airport, because I'm standing here staring at the Atlantic Ocean. Not one vineyard for miles. Oh, well, it could be worse. This week, I'm podcasting from beautiful South Beach in Miami, where it's warm, sunny, and Florida is open for business, baby. One can actually walk into a bar here and order a drink. Happy hour is going to have to wait, though. I'm getting sidetracked, and it's time to get back on the road. This week, I'm interviewing one of Trelato winemakers who crafts our Federalist, Dueling Pistols, and Big Macs wines. Far too much to talk about in one episode, so this week, I'm focusing on the Federalist. 
And after last week's crazy madness in Washington, D.C., it seems appropriate to have a chat about a brand who pays tribute to America's founding fathers. These were a group of men, true leaders whose vision for America we need more than ever at this time in U.S. history. George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Alexander Hamilton are no longer with us, but their values for America still holds true. We celebrate and honor their leadership with a range of wines called the Federalist and American craft wine that are available worldwide. I'm looking forward to this week's interview. So buckle up, here we go on the road. My guest this week has multiple degrees in chemistry, including a PhD and graduated from the world famous University of California Davis with degrees in enology and viticulture. He's made wine at Behringer, Pine Ridge, and Alderbrook Wineries. Today, he's the general manager at Rutherford Hill Winery and the winemaker for the Federalist, Dueling Pistols, and Big Max wines. He's one busy dude. You're on the road with Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. And my guest this week is winemaker, Brian Parker. You're on the road with uh, Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine, and I've got Brian Parker, the winemaker for the Federalist Dueling Pistols and Big Max Wines. Today, however, we're just going to focus in, zero in on the on the Federalist. Brian, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Chuck. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the uh, the show. So right off the bat, Brian, what got you interested in becoming a winemaker? Well, when I was in grad school back in the late mid to late eighties, I started getting interesting in brewing my own beer, and that got me interested in fermentation overall. So making kimchi, sauerkraut. Uh, cured meats and things. And then towards the end of my uh, my time in grad school and then after my postdoc, I knew I could uh, study winemaking at UC Davis. And I think maybe I'll take a career turn. So my grad school degree is in chemistry. And so it was kind of an obvious choice. So I moved out to California in the mid 90s, took some classes at Davis and been working in the wine industry ever since. That's fantastic. When did you when did you graduate from Davis? So I took classes through June of 1997. Okay. So started in September of 95. There's loads of craft beers now, wherever you go. Are you still making beer as well as uh, on the side? No, I don't actually, mainly because winemaking keeps me uh, occupied, but in, in terms of alcoholic beverages, but I still do a lot of ferment, other fermentations, so oh. food products. Today, we're talking about uh, the Federalist Wines, uh, Brian. Uh, how long have you been making these Federalist Wines? Have you been involved uh, with, with making the Federalist since day one? And when did that start? Yes. Yes. So since day one. So we started uh, in 2008 with the Dryer Creek Zinfandel for the Federalist. So I was working up in Healdsburg winery up there and we had Zinfandel available and it was team came to me and said, hey, we want to start this new project called the Federalist and we'll have Alexander Hamilton on the label. Rest is history. Well, listen, I have to tell you, I mean, I'm a big fan. Obviously, I love selling these wines. Uh, they're, 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 they're my number one selling brand across Europe and, and Middle East. 
I mean, all the wines are very good. All the wines in the range, for some reason, that Federalist Visionary, the Zinfandel, just just stands out. I think it's just a really good Zin. And uh, yeah, it just stands head and shoulders, I think, apart apart from the competition in in that class. So you mentioned Dry Creek Valley. How much are you influenced by terroir when you're making these wines? I mean, for example, you're picking grapes in Lodi for the cab and the and the and the Lodi Zin. Uh, you're picking in Mendocino for the Chardonnay, the Red Blend, and the and the Visionary Zinfandel in Dry Creek Valley. So, what impact does this have on your approach to making these different wines? What what part does terroir play here, if any? With those three those four wines, since they're all defined by a specific AVA, you know, we're, we're looking to try to keep how the fruit grows in those regions, try to keep that to the taste profile that you might find from those regions. So Dry Creek's in, we're looking for maybe a, a, a somewhat, somewhat maybe bigger style of Zin, but also have that, that real blackberry, um, black pepper character. Lodi, we're looking for, even though it's maybe a much warmer climate, it does have a pretty good diurnal swing. So the temperature from day to night can go upwards of 50 degrees at some times. You might think you'd get like these bigger, brawnier Zinfandels, but really what you're finding is um, you, you see a lot of more of elegant style Zinfandel out in the Lodi area. And then Chardonnay from Mendocino, we're sourcing from a number of different sites. So that might kind of obliterate the terroir but we're still looking for that maybe that lemon citrus green apple flavors uh and uh and uh maybe a higher acid uh from the different sites we're getting the fruit from and then the lodi cab you know we're looking again for what lodi is going to give us out of out of the cabernet uh maybe some of the other blends like the honest red blend for instance is a blend of several different avas across the spectrum. So that might kind of take out any terroir, but we're still looking for, you know, a highly drinkable wine for the price point. Regarding the the Chardonnay from Mendocino, what I like about this wine is the creaminess, the, the, the texture that, you, that you're getting out of this wine and the versatility, because this is a wine, the Chardonnay, you can enjoy on its own, or it's going to go with, say, like a nice Caesar salad, but I've had it with ribeye steaks. I think it's really good with barbecue and, and cheeseburgers. So that texture, is that coming from picking a little bit later? Is it coming from, you know, the, the, the American oak influence? What's, what's contributing to that, like, really luscious creaminess that we, that we get, but it's still really balanced and integrated where you're getting some nice, crispy, you know, finish and acidity as well? Just sourcing from different areas uh, within Mendocino, uh, sourcing from different vineyards. So I'm getting... Uh, uh, different profiles into the wines from those different sites, but also that creaminess creaminess tends to be from the malolactic fermentation. So we usually do full malolactic fermentation on our shard. That malolactic fermentation is the conversion of malic acid, which is an acid you find in grapes, but you also find it say in in green apples, right? So it's kind of a tart acid. Mm -hmm. You're converting that, you're using, certain bacteria to convert that from malic acid to lactic acid. Lactic acid is the acid you find in milk. So it's kind of that more giving you that real creamy texture. So really that's 
American oak does help provide that. We do use French oak on our Chardonnay too. So we use a combination. So we are getting the creaminess both from an American oak or an oak profile, but also from that malolactic fermentation. Okay. And then going back to Lodi, we're, um, we're getting the Lodi Cab and the Lodi Zen. Lodi Cab's got Benjamin Franklin on the label and the Zen's got George Washington. I've always, like my understanding of Lodi, and I've been there several times, is um, I keep hearing, you know, with Lodi wine, Lodi fruit, you know, you get wine that's very fruit forward, very approachable, you know, mild tannins. And even with that cab, the cab, you know, the cab tannins aren't aggressive. So what's contributing to that? Is it, is it, is it the alluvial, alluvial soils there in, in Lodi? Where are we getting that, you know, fruit forward flavors as you, as you taste these wines? A lot of it is, again, the growing region. So Lodi is really known for really fruit forward wines, real, some, I mean, really beautiful fruit forward wines, but also it's, it's how you manage the fermentation. So like the cat management, for instance, and trying not to extract a lot of, of tannin out. So maybe, so we use lower temperatures for fermentation. We don't do extended maceration where you're keeping it on the skins after fermentation for a period of time to try to, to try to build the tannin into there. Uh, we're trying to take it off as soon as possible. So we get more of a, keep more of that primary fruit character that we're getting. And then we're not really using necessarily a lot of new oak on, on either one of those wines. They're, they're about 15% new oak, 15 to 18%. So it's not an incredible amount that it's overpowering. It's it's lending body to the wine and you kind of know that there's a little bit of oak there, but it's not overpowering those those fruit aromas. No, that makes sense. And that clarifies it. I mean, because I just think those wines are just so enjoyable to drink. And that's why, you know, you know, when we were going after business by the glass, I mean it lends itself to those, you know, to those by the glass um listings. Now, uh looking at the Federalist range here. You got Charnay, bourbon barrel aged wines, which we'll get into later. Lodi's in. You got Dry Creek Valley's in. Do you have a particular approach or philosophy when you're making these wines for the Federalist brand? And do the images on the label say George Washington on the Lodi's in? Does George influence you? Are you making a a, a wine to to say maybe match George's George's personality? So approach to the wines really is um, to make. A, a, just a great wine for the price point we're selling it at. Uh, real approachable, versatile. So as you were saying with the Chardonnay, drink on its own, have with a Caesar salad, or you've had it with ribeye. Similarly for the Dry Creek Zin, the Lodi Zin, the Cat uh, across the port, pro, portfolio. Yeah, I just, I'm looking to make just a really drinkable wine that people are going to enjoy and want to come back to and buy again and again. In terms of the personalities on the label, I've never actually been asked that question before. And it's kind of a, a fun one to think about. Uh, I don't have an answer at this point. I, I don't necessarily think I am approaching it in terms of what their personalities are, but uh, I'll have to think about that a little bit more often. Okay. Uh, may, maybe there is some uh, uh, hidden uh, influence in there that I'm not thinking about. Okay, cool. Well, we can. Maybe, I love that question. Maybe we can. Maybe we can come back back to that question uh, for a future uh, uh, podcast. But I just wanted to uh, throw that in there. 
We talked about, you know, French American oak. You know, when I talk about the Federalist, I talk about the, I, I, I really focus on like, you know, American oak, just carry on with the theme. But for example, just looking at the Chardonnay, the one wine there, what's the, uh, what's the American oak giving this wine, the final of uh, the final product? And what, what's, what's the French oak doing uh, for this wine on the Chardonnay? So when, when you compare American to French oak, talking about American oak, it can be a little bit more assertive with its flavors. So what you're going to get out of there is more like a sweet spices, maybe vanilla. Uh, sometimes you can get coconut or dill out of there. I try to avoid American oak it has those two flavors because I'm not a big fan of either one of those in wine. You're not a big On fan? On their own, I like them. Okay. Of coconut or dill, but kind of the sweet spice and the vanilla character out of American oak. French oak is more in that elegant, to me, ele more elegant wines. Uh, maybe you get some savory spice out of it, some chocolate, roasted coffee. Uh, you definitely get more tannins out of French oak. So if you need to build um, maybe more of a, of a tannin profile in your wine, French oak will definitely deliver more than American oak will. So really, we look for a balance between the two. I like to get more of that... Um, that creaminess, also the creaminess too from American oak, because you get you, you get that vanilla and and those sweet spices in there, which just trying to you know draw you in in terms of uh, flavor. I try to balance between the two and 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 not go in one direction or the other. I just try to make them uh, balance between the two oak profiles. Moving on to our the Federalist Bourbon Barrel Age range, you know, somewhere across Europe, uh, we've got the the Bourbon Barrel Age Cab, we've got the Zin, we've got the Red. We're selling the Red, for example, the Red Blend in Poland and Romania, uh, the, the the Bourbon Barrel Age Cab in the United Kingdom. Um, Working with bourbon barrels, um, you know, whiskey barrel barrels is fairly new and and highly innovative. Um, when you go to age in bourbon barrels, is it making your job more challenging when you're making these wines as opposed to just aging in French and American oak? It is. A few reasons for that. One, the barrels tend to be thinner staves. So if you looked at a, an American oak uh, or French oak barrel, typically the staves tend to be 27 millimeters thick. Um, but bourbon barrels tend to be a lot smaller. I think they're somewhere in the 18 millimeter range. So they, they'll, they'll, winer will evaporate out of those quicker. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to have to top more often. Uh, they develop leaks. And so it's just, it's an ongoing process of keeping up with the, the maintenance of the bourbon barrels themselves and making sure that leak they're not leaking at all and that we're, we're topping over a, a, over a quicker where we might top every say four to five weeks, all our other wines, bourbon barrel, we might have to top every three weeks because we're just losing through evaporation through the staves. Okay. Through evaporation. So not necessarily leaks, just, eva just evaporation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And why, for example, the cab and the zin, do these two grape varieties lend its, lend themselves to like a, a nice relationship or bond with, with these bourbon barrel aged staves or, you know, uh, bourbon barrel aged barrels? Is it just a good fit there with, with these two grape varieties? 
Zin, yes. Zin, Zinfandel really, assertive flavors from Zin work really well with assertive barrels. So Zin marries with American oak pretty well. I, I mean, it marries with French oak real well too, but um, so American, so bourbon barrels are made exclusively from American oak, uh, heavily charred American oak. And so a bourbon, a a straight bourbon has to be aged two years in in a in a bourbon barrel, right? And then they can be used for other things, but um, or discarded. So we might get barrels that are maybe two years plus old or or older. But um, but the Zin definitely marries well with with a bourbon barrel. The Cab Cab is the number one selling variety in in the United States, so it it it, it made sense to hey let's let's um. Let's go in that direction too. But Cab works with American Oak too. It's a variety that a lot of other producers in in California have worked with American Oak and put Cab in there. And what do these bourbon barrels add to the wine, to the finished product? Where say you know French or American Oak won't. What is what is what are the bourbon? What are the, some of the attributes that the bourbon barrels are giving are giving the wine? So bourbon barrels themselves have to be heavily charred. So you're getting some of that smoky character from the barrel from that heavy char but also i was talking about how american oak puts in a lot of vanilla too and if if you're a bourbon drinker that's probably one attribute you see in a lot of the bourbons across the board is that vanilla character and so you will get that that more of that vanilla character out of the bourbon barrel into the wine so really it's that that kind of combined smoky and vanilla Vanilla is one of those things that we're all attracted to. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't necessarily like vanilla or at least the aroma of vanilla. So um, so it's it's really, it's two attractive features from the bourbon barrel that we're getting into the wine. Okay. And the label clearly shows six months aged in bourbon barrels. Um, does the six months, does this set us apart from the competition? It does. So a lot of the competition will age maybe a month in bourbon barrels or or three months in bourbon barrels. And we're we've decided, you know, after three months, I didn't think it was finished, a finished wine at that point. So I, I suggested we try aging it a little bit more. And so at six months tasting, it was like, yeah, this, this is working. So let, let's age them all for six months. The wines just taste great. We've gotten some great feedback from all over Europe. So yeah, you're doing a, you're doing a great job, Brian. Brian, before you go, I'm going to pull over and ask you uh, five quick questions. I call this my Ben End Q&A. Just give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Are you, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. If you weren't a winemaker, what would you be doing? I'd work as a uh, in science. In science, okay. Living or dead, which celebrity would you want to share a bottle of the Federalist with? Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Okay. Do you think you would have a preference for any of the six or eight wines you make? I don't know. Uh, being from Europe, I, I think a lot of people I've met are intrigued by Zinfandel because it's okay. not, it's not necessarily they have back 
back in Europe until, you know, the wine industry has become global now. So that'd be a fun person to share with Albert Einstein. That's a first. That's great. What's the one vineyard you'd love to own? Since I've been there, uh, Courtone in Burgundy in the Cote de Bone. Great pick. What's your go-to quaffing wine at home? I've got two, either Pinot Noir or, Chard- or uh, Zinfandel. Money, no object. What California wine would you open with dinner tonight? You know, since I've never tasted it uh, and like to see what it's about, Screaming Eagle. Ooh, good pick. Yeah, I've never tried. I've never tried it either. So anybody at Screaming Eagle list listening, send uh, send Brian a bottle. Okay. Well, listen, Brian, um, I really enjoyed this uh, interview, and I want to thank you very much for being on the road uh, with me this week. And I would love to get you back on later this year to talk about dueling pistols and Big Macs. That'd be great. Thanks again for uh, the invite. Glad to be part of it. Thank you. I want to thank Brian Parker for being on the road with me this week. Brian does a fantastic job making wines that are uniquely American, engaging, approachable, and super tasty. The Federalist wines are damn good. And the Federalist is our number one selling brand in the USA, across Europe, and Asia. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of fun selling and talking about these wines. Time for Wine of the Week. And the Federalist Bourbon Barrel Age Cab is my pick. The Bourbon Barrel Age category is growing at a ridiculously rapid rate and is now a $125 million plus category with Cabernet Sauvignon, the king of reds, making up almost 50% of total category market share. Our Bourbon Barrel Age Cab is uniquely aged for six months in bourbon barrels, which makes it so unique. Brian does an awesome job marrying the bourbon oak with the juice, creating a gorgeous red that offers aromas of black cherries, smoky vanilla, and bacon notes with the long Coca-Cola finish. The Federalist Bourbon Barrel H Cab goes awesome with cheeseburgers, pizza, beef ribs, and mouth-watering steaks. And I have a little bit of trivia for you. Did you know, I certainly didn't, that the largest three-day rodeo in the United States is held in California on the Tahama County Fairgrounds in Red Bluff. Red Bluff is a two-hour drive north of Sacramento, our state capital. Wow, a rodeo that's bigger, bigger than any rodeo in Texas. Ride them, cowboy. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to this new season. Before I sign off, I want to thank Matthew Jukes for his review. Matthew says... On the Road with Chuck Kramer podcast is fabulous. Chuck is a perceptive fellow with a wicked sense of humor, and he certainly encourages his guests to expound on their specialist subjects. Matthew, you're awesome. I'll be back next week chatting with Elizabeth Terlato, Terlato Wines, who's currently studying at the Cordon Bleu in London. Right now, though, I'm heading over to the Clevelander for a drink. And if we can't hop on a flight to California, I'll bring California to you. Keep tuning in. And if you can, leave a review. See you next week on the road with me, Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. Take it easy.